Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Is splicing how you got your Apple to be square? Um, my Apple uh, becoming square was, um, uh, oh man, I, I forget the handle that he uses, but it's the, um, you probably know who it is, uh, Peter. It's the, the guy down in Argentina with his brothers who are trying to start a farm, like a goat and a sheep farm. You know who I'm talking about? Um, here, let me look it up. But anyways, not anyway. So I thought they were in Venezuela. <laughs> Maybe they're not anywhere. No, um, I don't know. They're, they're something. You know, you're right. You're right. They are in Venezuela. My bad. That was my bad. Um, yeah. So a, a guy and his brothers are trying to like raise money for starting a farm in Venezuela. They're buying a bunch of goats and sheep and they're just randomly making Bitcoiners, um, pixelated versions of their avatars like for free, you know, and then. That's yeah, smart. The idea That's is actually like, really smart because Bitcoiners are extremely um, gracious. I've noticed. Yep. And yep. if you if you go out and do things for Bitcoiners at no charge, just kind of like, hey, let me serve you guys and do something for you for free. Like that's a really smart move, actually. Yep. So it just showed up on my feed one day, and I was like, holy shit, that's the first fan art I've ever gotten, and um, this guy deserves some sats. So. Gave him a little donation over Lightning, and you know I think he's not much closer to getting his uh, his flock of goats and sheep. <laughs> and and actually, uh, Gabby Vivas uh, visited there. I think it was two or three days ago. Anyway, she put out a tweet, so it, it is an actual place. Yeah, that's important. Although to be honest, like you know, I appreciate the hustle, uh, even if it's not. I mean, I don't appreciate the lies if it were a lie, which it's not. Uh, confirmed, not a lie anymore. But the hustle, you know, I mean, like, a little proof of work is always appreciated. So, you know, and, and like yeah. you said, Alex, if you're doing it for free and just out of the you know, goodness of your heart, and you're, you're trying to grind uh, with a little extra side hustle, then uh, you, if you do that for Bitcoiners, you, you're likely to be rewarded, especially if your work agree. is um, kind of fun, you know, and, and appreciated. Yeah, definitely agree. I mean, I can see we, we're continually talking about like uh, creating a Bitcoin economy. And there's going to come a time when people want to be paid in sets. You know, there's going to come a time when people just lose confidence in the dollar and they're going to be like, I don't want that. That's garbage. Like, give me sets. How do I earn sets? What can I do to earn some sets? So <clears throat> this is where the whole, you know, one person, one node, one miner thing comes to mind because that's one way to earn sets. Like, as long as it's energy efficient, then why wouldn't you do that? Especially if you have situations where you need to generate heat and you're doing it regardless, right? Like you have a water heater in your home and you have to heat the water. 
or you live any place that gets cold during the winter and you have to heat that place. I mean, there's just so many reasons why um, you you might want to do that. But then, of course, you have situations where how do I earn sats? Like if you if we're roll the clock forward 20 years, how does the how does the employment and the business landscape look? How do you earn the sats? And then if you can find a way to serve Bitcoiners in particular, because they're the ones who have the sats, <laughs> that might be a good way to earn some sats. Yep, hundred percent. I mean, I you know I wouldn't do the work I do if the on ramps weren't so easy. Uh, let me rephrase that. I wouldn't do the work I do for fiat if the on ramps weren't so easy to convert that fiat into Bitcoin. So, as soon as it becomes more difficult to acquire Bitcoin for dollars, um, that's when you're going to start to see a lot of people just demand to be paid in Bitcoin instead, because you know it's like I'm not going to do work for these these cuck bucks if I can't actually convert them into dollars. And I honestly think that that point is closer than a lot of people think. Like the point where, you know, <laughs> liquidity really dries up in terms of like available Bitcoin. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're like, you know, not that far away in the grand scheme of things where it yeah, becomes really difficult to buy in size, right. Or, or to convert your, your dollars into Bitcoin. Yeah, possibly not that far. Maybe five years, maybe sooner. I don't know. But there's two vectors, right? One is, do we? Is there just less Bitcoin available to buy? <clears throat> and that, I mean, that will change based on price, right? I'm not saying that like Bitcoiners will never sell their Bitcoin or nobody will ever sell their Bitcoin. I mean, if the price goes to 100 grand, somebody's going to sell their Bitcoin. If it goes to 200, somebody's going to sell their Bitcoin. Likewise, 500 million, et cetera, right? There's a number in people's minds at which they will sell infinity. Um, <laughs> if you're wicked, um, there's, there's that part about it, but then there's also this phenomenon where, where uh, I, we're seeing this quite a bit right now at Swan where, where people are genuinely afraid of having their Bitcoin on exchanges. Like we are the number of new account apps has skyrocketed this month. Um, and people are freaked the hell out and they're like, uh, yeah, I need to get my Bitcoin off the exchanges. And then like, here's the thing, like some people are like, well, you know, Swan's no better than the exchanges. Look, I'm, I am not sitting here trying to suggest like, you know, you should keep your, your Bitcoin on an exchange. What they're doing is they're, is Swan or Prime Trust even a little better while I wait for my, for my um, signing devices slash hardware wallets to arrive in the mail. Can I put it there? Like right now. <laughs> and like when my things get here, maybe you can teach me how to do this. So the answer is yes, we are doing that. Like hand over fist right now. Tons of new people coming to us and saying, hey, I want to move my stuff from Coinbase or wherever to Swan, hold it temporarily while my stuff arrives and then please teach me how to use this. It's pretty exciting to see actually. I don't know how I've got off on that tangent. Oh, the other thing. By the way, good morning and welcome. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin episode 224. You have 39 days left to tax loss harvest in the t in the 2022 tax year. If you don't know what that means, shoot me DM. I'm happy to help you. Okay. Um, the other thing is which direction does it go? Do, does the government come after um, you know the on-ramps hardcore or do they embrace Bitcoin? 
We don't know yet. There's a lot of people who are like, well, we're not done. We have the the, the ultimate boss to fight, which is going to be the government's hardcore coming after Bitcoin. Could still happen, right? But here, here's a new interesting development. I wanted to throw this out there to discuss it. Some of you guys don't like this guy, and that's okay. I've, I happen to think he's got some very interesting perspectives and views, and he happens to believe that the United States military and the government should embrace Bitcoin um, and it's it's basically the United States' best chance at staying um, a superpower, essentially. So this is a tweet from Jason Lowry. He's a commander with the United States Space Force who has done pretty deep research, in my opinion, on Bitcoin and its relevancy uh, to nation states. And he has just announced that he's been invited to advise the White House Executive Office uh, of the president on national strategic security benefits of Bitcoin. He says, this is the biggest honor of my career. He wants to thank the Bitcoin community for giving me a voice. Also, um, I'm not going to divulge too much because this is kind of confidential and it was like, you know, some DMs back and forth with uh, our CEO and this guy, but um He's got very high access. Let me put it that way. Like he's got like direct access to the very, very top people in government. And I'm going to leave it at that. Wicked. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so first of all, you know, congrats to Jason Lowry. I know like this is kind of what he's been working up to. Um, and I've met the guy personally. Um, and he's, he's a good dude, right? Like I know, I know people don't like him because he works for the government, <laughs> but just from a personal level, like I, you know, I, I've, I don't know. I, he seems like a good dude to me. Um, and I don't know why you were crying. I'm curious. What's up the cry face? I don't want to talk about it. Things are becoming real, you know? I mean, we all knew this moment was going to happen eventually. So here we are. You know, this goes this goes back to a comment I wanted to make a little earlier when uh, Alex said that um, it would be good to do something that the Bitcoiners um, like because the Bitcoiners are the ones with all the Bitcoin. And um, the reality is, is that at the point at which people are going to be working for sats, everybody is going to be a Bitcoiner. So, I mean, at some point we have to reconcile with the fact that even though we are early, uh, anyone who anyone who who sees the truth of Bitcoin is a Bitcoiner, and that includes individuals that maybe we don't agree with their opinion. We 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 talk with individuals who we don't agree with their opinion all the time, um, and I think that's one of the the great things about the Bitcoin space is that that kind of conversation is not only uh, appreciated, but is encouraged. And there will be Bitcoiners like Jason Lowry that we don't agree with whatever their particular perspective is, but that doesn't mean that um, they're not a Bitcoiner. I wonder if, I wonder if Jason Lowry would have had the same trajectory um, if he hadn't had had, you know, a, uh, decent amount of his wealth kind of propelled to where to where it is because of bitcoin right like you know i mean i'm not divulging any information that's not publicly out there but like he's spoken about you know basically riding uh 
the the previous two cycles to an amount of wealth that he had to literally <laughs> report to his higher ups um, because like once you reach a certain net wealth like you need to report it to them otherwise they think you might be getting paid by you know adversaries so <laughs> so like you know he he's he's a direct beneficiary from Bitcoin and that's what got him so interested in it in the first place and so it's like it's kind of interesting to see like how Bitcoin can really shape who you become and, and what you end up kind of pursuing um, as a career or as an interest. You know, it's, it's really, it's easy, it's easier to be into, into Bitcoin when it, it has benefited you so much, right? Like it kind of like makes you obsessed about it when I, I don't know about that. I don't it. know about that wicked. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, completely underwater on bitcoin and i'm obsessed with it and i still think that that i still see the truth of it so i mean i i don't i don't know if i agree with that necessarily i think that i think bitcoin just is and that's enough but wait 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 until you aren't underwater wait for like five years and then and then imagine how even more obsessed you'll be once <laughs> once your net wealth is like yeah. Have you have you seen me on Stack Chain? I I don't think a guy can become much more obsessed with Bitcoin than I am. We got yeah, maybe, tweet maybe not. Like we just got to stamp it, and then there's only one way to see, and that's to come back in four or five years and see how radical you you have or have not become compared to this. It's all speculation, otherwise, right? And you think you're crazy, but you ain't seen nothing yet, maybe. Tomer, I think the only difference will be my the the knowledge that I have um, about about Bitcoin, the technical knowledge and the um, and the 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 understanding of the ethos. I think is the only thing that will be different because I will have more of that. Well, there there will also be one other thing that will be different is we'll be five years. All of us will be five years into the future of Bitcoin and things like what Aunt Wicked was talking about at the beginning, or if it was Ant who was talking about at the beginning about splicing. And if Fetty Mints takes off, and yeah. so the world will be different, and there will be so much more to be excited about because it won't be us speculating about it; it'll be there. And I, like th that's what what's so important about a time like this when when the price goes down, and and a bunch of people leave crypto, and people say you know they condemn Bitcoin or they write it off, it but Bitcoin just keeps on marching along is very similar to what happened. Uh, in 2001, when the Nasdaq.com bubble burst and a bunch of people thought the Internet went away, they thought it was over, like Pets.com and all these scams. And they're all gone and people lost a fortune. And some people were like, well, I'll never touch the Internet again or I'll never touch the stock market again. And other people were, aha, I told you so. Uh, but the Internet didn't stop. This little private company called Google just kept on organizing all the information on the Internet and cable companies and telcos just kept building high-speed connections and consumers kept signing up for them and people were starting to do interesting things on eBay and it just kept growing and growing and growing and then suddenly five years later as an example in 2000 let's not, not even five years like four years later in 2005 which I think is around the time that Google went public um, suddenly everybody realized, oh my God, this thing has not only not gone away, there's a whole advertising medium that everybody's using there. And we kind of took for granted that we used to use the yellow pages, which was a big advertising medium and nobody's touching that thing anymore. And 
and it, and things were starting to grow spectacularly. And I think that's what you know. We can only speculate on exactly how things will play out, but it's a it's a chaotic free market in which this stuff is playing out. And and because of lightning in particular, which is like I'm just as bullish on lightning um, as Ant is. There's so many possibilities. There's like there's a brand new internet that's been developed. It's like what are you talking about? It's like well, the internet now has money on it. Um, not not Visa through third parties through signups and this and that. Like everyone on the internet has money, um, and they can send it, and so they can they can exchange value for value on the internet. I can make some of my hard disk space available to you for a few cents worth of uh, of satoshis, and and that changes radically uh, the whole business model of the internet, which has all been well. There is no money on the internet itself. There's people on the internet and information on the internet. And the only way to make money is to aggregate a whole bunch of people and to sell those people to advertisers uh, and, and and use that money from the advertising to build these very large centralized services. And that's all about to change. And it, it's going to take years. It's not going to be instant. But as those things play out, we will just be looking and people say, can you remember when you you used to use Dropbox or Google Cloud for storing your files on the internet. It wasn't like, and they read all your files and you had no privacy. And people would be like, well, those were really early days of the internet, but we, we live <laughs> in a modern world right now, right? Like we all think we live in modern times. We all, we all forget that, you know, years from now, we'll look back at these times and say, boy, it was so primitive, right? Like look back 10, 15 years, look back to the time before smartphones. We all th- lived technologically primitive lives like if you didn't know have some information you just had to live without having it you didn't have google in your pocket all the world's information q a available sometimes you had to actually phone some people uh you you did you didn't just have uh, instant text messaging or or computers to serve you all the information in the world like that's how much life has changed in a decade um and now we've got this other, you know, on top of this technology that changed life so dramatically, now we've got the ability to move value across it in, in exchange for other things. So I just think it's going to be, it's unimaginable how innovative things will be. But we went through the same thing as the dot-com bubble went through. Like, we now have all these really useful internet services, but it was filled with shitcoin type ideas before. Pets.com is no different than Dentacoin, right? I can't believe we didn't have pet coin um as one of these things but all of these all of these altcoins are they they misunderstand how the technology can work and actually provide value or they intentionally delude people deceive people into thinking that they have some solution because they have some of the buzzwords from from the technology that's actually society changing but that doesn't mean that we won't get the real deal in time through hard work and and so you know again i just tell people like this is this is big it requires patience and it requires work and it requires if you want to succeed in it um it requires working on the real thing and not uh and not on all of these uh phony scams because there were so many of those on the internet too um it was just it was nuts the nasdaq went from five thousand dollars down to twelve hundred dollars it had that big a crash like just about like high 70%, like 75, 76%. Sounds familiar? You know, one of the things that clued me into to shitcoin versus Bitcoin, back in 2019, this was before really I was I was a, quote, Bitcoiner. 
Um, there was a group of guys from the gold industry who came to me and they were like, hey, we should make a gold-backed token. And so I started researching the feasibility of doing that. And then I ran across all these and realized that there were thousands and thousands and thousands of these things. And none of them really had any value. And that's when I was kind of like, uh, that's probably not going to work. I mean, there's, there's a thousand. I mean, it's ridiculous. The thing that really kind of sealed that for me was when I ran across homeless coin. There was this thing called homeless. I'm not even kidding when I say that. I was like, oh, yeah, this is all bullshit. Wicked, what are you thinking? Oh, hold on one second. I just, I just got to tell you, Tomer, I just looked. There is a pet coin. Of course there's a pet coin. I stand corrected. Hey, don't shit coin. It's bad for you. Um, I uh, so you know what Tomer was saying, like, and and my experience with um, with this dude who who made this uh, this icon in, in Venezuela and his brothers. Um, I mean, one of the things that I think people just don't appreciate is this idea of the world all using the same unit of account. I mean, just <laughs> like the 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 level of cooperation and the degree to which you know markets become free and open when we're all using the same unit of account is going to change everything just the fact that i can send value to somebody on the other side of the world who uses a completely different currency than me but still you know sees value in this underlying unit that we call satoshis um is amazing right like it's an amazing feeling being able to to give a person value um when they're on the other side of the world and like you don't need anybody's permission to do it um and and you both realize you know what it is you're giving each other so i think i mean that's something that we talk about and like many of us have thought about here but many people have not and many people just can't even begin to comprehend kind of the type of world that that will move into as everyone starts to use the same unit of account. Can you imagine how much prosperity will be unlocked when we remove all of the bullshit, parasitic, bureaucratic nonsense from the system? Just it's it's crazy. How I mean, fucking Luya, Neil. Yeah, just to talk about or expand on your point, you know, I think Sailor talks about how uh, most people, they want to learn English because things have to be standardized and money is just another way we communicate and it's the global unit of account. Um, if there is one global unit of account, it'll just make things so much easier and frictionless. Uh, but I also just want to say how fucking bullish I am right now on Bitcoin. I think like a few weeks ago, I talked to, I forget who the conversation was with, about personal responsibility and the objection or the person's premise is that specifically people uh, in like Western countries and more developed countries don't care about taking personal responsibility. Uh, And at the time I said, people don't realize they need it, uh, but when they need it, (laughs) they'll realize. And over the last few weeks, that has really materialized. We've seen massive exchange outflows, unprecedented amounts. We're seeing uh, wallet addresses um, with at least one Bitcoin at all-time highs. Right. So I'm just super bullish. I know the price doesn't necessarily reflect this, but we know there's a lot of weird machinations that go on 
uh, in markets and in the Bitcoin market. And I just think over time, what's happened in the last couple of weeks is going to be a real catalyst for Bitcoin adoption. For sure. Um, by the way, my Twitter exploded like when after I brought up the thing about uh, about Jason Lowry going to to basically brief the White House on Bitcoin. What was the consensus? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Anyone want to summarize that for me? I mean, if you're an American, I would I would say it's a good thing because we want to be. I mean, like as a country, right? If if you think your country's you know geopolitical positioning on this matter is important as a country we want to be forward focused on like what it is this technology is and how it will affect our relationships with our country so i mean like i as much as you don't want government to like you know fucking have a lot of power and control at the same time you also don't want other governments who are worse than yours to have even more so i think it's really important for our government to take Bitcoin seriously and position themselves in a way that's yep. going to be strategically advantageous against others. Hundred percent agree. What if one government besides the United States of America, let's call it China or North Korea, acquires a million Bitcoin? Is that good for America or for the world? I would contend that it's it's probably not. Um, so, while I agree, I don't I don't necessarily like the idea of the United States military. <laughs> mining bitcoin <laughs> um it i don't know i mean it i would rather the united states have a treasury full of bitcoin than not i don't know i i, I think that's probably a good idea who's next homer or or peter um i think jason's thesis around bitcoin is very interesting and it it and he's pushing on the limits of um of what of what is known, right? He's, he's testing new hypotheses. He's not just saying Bitcoin is really valuable. He's saying Bitcoin is like a strategic uh, t security tool. Uh, you know, that, and exactly what he means by that is something that even he is figuring out, right? So I don't think even he knows exactly what all that means, but he's put out some really interesting content lately uh, about how, there's real power and there's imaginary power, pretend power. And he says, you know, real power is the bullet from a gun. Like that's really going to damage you. Imaginary power is a judge wearing a wig and, you know, and, and telling you that you will do something. Now you can, you can obey that imaginary power. You can't disobey the power of a bullet. And that, and that is what Jason is saying. Bitcoin is like, it is, a, it is power that cannot be pretended away from. It's not pretend power. And whether or not that's entirely right, it's absolutely truly right about you can't change the nature of the blockchain except for with force and power. You need energy to do it. Um, but whether or not somebody else appreciates that Bitcoin is valuable is 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 to some degree in their head. Now, it, there's a network effect that ends up taking place. So I think Jason's exploring some really, really interesting areas and because he's coming at it from this perspective of a military strategic instrument he's trying to make a very different point than the point that bitcoin is valuable he, as money he, i think he's trying to make a point that bitcoin is valuable as a national security tool 
and uh, it's up to him to make that argument completely and fully. I know that there are other there are many people who don't like the sounds of this at all because it sounds like Bitcoin is an instrument of war, and there are many Bitcoiners who are conscientious objectors and pacifists and all sorts of and anarchists and anti-government and, and most of us are anti-war for sure. And uh, but it's a different. It may be a different kind of instrument of national security. It may be, and this is where this debate comes in, is it a shield or a weapon or this and that and the other? And and these these words get hard to use with precision because nothing like Bitcoin's really ever existed before. It's the first of its kind. And so it's it's hard to be precise using words that don't precisely describe it. So sorry, sorry that that's not a great answer, but it's just like... He's very good at, at describing it, though. I mean, he builds a very strong. Um, if you go look up um, the interview between Preston Pish and Jason Lowry, it's a two-hour and twelve-minute-long thing. It's on YouTube. Just go search for it. Go search Pish Lowry. It'll come right up. Um, he does a really good job of building kind of the foundation of understanding for why. You know, most people just immediately, a lot of Bitcoin, I shouldn't say most people, there are many Bitcoiners who immediately just freak out and assume he's a spook because he's a government employee and he, he's military, right? But if you if you listen to what he's saying, instead of getting triggered by the idea that he might be a spook, like it makes a lot of freaking sense. Go ahead, Neil. You were I'm only something? triggered yeah. by the word blockchain. I was, time chain, y'all. Time chain. I was just going to say Bitcoin is a tool and like anything else, tools could be used for peace or for weapons, right? So I don't think he's wrong the way he describes it. I think there's just more than one use for Bitcoin and that's okay that everyone views it differently. The important point about Bitcoin is that there's optionality and then you're not forced to use it. You're not forced to comply. So, well, uh, I disagree uh, with that. At a state level, at some point, if game theory plays out the way we think it's going to, you're going to be forced to contend with Bitcoin. You don't have a choice. If you're the United States government or you're the government yeah, of Russia but, or – But I'm talking about like, as this, you don't have to use it. You don't have to use it. Okay, maybe you don't have to use it. I, I, I kind of disagree with that. I, I think they're going to be forced to contend with it because if if Bitcoin is – the best form of money the United the human race has ever seen. It's it's programmatically the scarcest thing in the entire universe. All value measured in Bitcoin, Bitcoin will continue to rise in value measured against all things for eternity. If this is true, and I think it probably is, my opinion, then if you do not have a treasury in Bitcoin, you are by definition, weaker than your enemies. Well, people fucked. It then. I mean, I think this is more semantical than anything. Yeah, people might be forced into using it because it's in their best interest to use it. That's uh, what I just said. Yeah, that, I think it's just semantics at this point. All right, Peter, and then Surfer Jim. So I, I think there's a couple of things that we need to think about. First of all, as far as a, a country acquiring a million Bitcoin, I, I just don't know that that's possible at this point. Um, I mean, I guess it could be, but I, I should say I don't think that's likely is what I think I, I really want to say. Um, this is, I also think it could easily happen if a country like the U.S. wanted to nationalize Coinbase and Grayscale. 
right away. They, if they if they did something crazy like that, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that would be the way it could happen. If, yeah, if let me happened, let me point out, Peter. I just threw that number out there for sake of a number. I'm not okay. making a projection. And, and if that, and if that on, did on happen, um, those individuals would have to be willing to give up those keys. And I'm not sure that they're going to give. I mean, they might, but they might not. So that's mm. that's another that's you know, another part of that. Wrong. Of, and Barry Silbert would bend over to government pressure. I I don't know. Look, uh, any 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 United States based. Um, corporation or entity if the government basically said you know executive order this is the law hand it over they're gonna do it they're just gonna do it it's either that or you're in prison and your company is shut down anyway so they're gonna do it there's a certain ethos about bitcoin that does not exist with some other um with 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 other pieces of property so but anyways we can get past that the other thing i wanted to say the other thing i wanted to say neil just real quick the other thing i wanted to say um was that we're assuming that jason lowry is going to actually get access to the right people and even though he you know he has this access we're assuming that's actually going to happen and typically access to individuals uh at that level you know, you get a minute, you get five minutes, you get 10 minutes, you don't get to sit down with somebody for, you know, several hours a day to explain this thing uh, to them. And I don't know that he's going to be able to get across what he needs to get across in the uh, access that he's going to have to those individuals. Well, yeah, there's no way any of us know what what he's going to say or how much time he's going to have. Yeah, that's, I don't know, that's a very speculative point. I don't know that it, we'll see, I guess, is the answer. Jim, good morning. What do you got? Uh, I was going to say something similar. Uh, that is that the, the people who have asked Jason to come talk to him are probably not the real decision makers. And they also have a different agenda, potentially, which is to maintain their power and to exploit Jason and all his knowledge and Bitcoin and the Bitcoin network to their own benefit if they can because they probably think they can um the one thing i've heard nobody discuss regarding things like this is that bitcoin being a bearer instrument uh bitcoin being something that motivates individuals i don't believe bitcoin is the type of thing that can be controlled very well or very easily or very efficiently by groups of people especially groups of people in government that are all selfish in and of themselves and want that money for their department, for their projects, and this, that, and the other thing. And with a limited supply of Bitcoin, any amount is still limited unless you can get more. Uh, And we all know that it's not easy to get Bitcoin even through extortion. You have to be able to get people to sign over their Bitcoin to you, and some people won't. So the government can't just steal the Bitcoin. So they have to get it, then they have to manage it, then they have to spend it. So if they spend it, where do they spend it? And all these decisions are complicated decisions when you have a limited asset to work with. And I don't expect the government to be all that great at that because of the individuals that would have to be involved to make those choices. So I'm not really too concerned what Jason's going to say to people in government and what they're going to do to us, the Bitcoin network, or anybody else at this point. I just think there's quite a bit of hurdles that would have to be cleared for government to effectively and efficiently own, control Bitcoin and use it for the benefit of the people of this country. I don't believe the people who have control of the power and money now 
are going to do anything for the benefit of people, whether they have Bitcoin or not. So I think we're a little ways away from the government having any ability to mess with us just because Jason's going to go talk to someone in the White House. Just an opinion. Thanks for sharing your opinion, Jim. By the way, you sound like you're in a tin can. Hubby, what do you got? Hey, guys. Good morning. Um, yeah, you know, um, you know, when you, when you do the game theory on all of this is, is quite interesting. I'm always taken uh, back to Parker Lewis's gradually then suddenly. And, you know, throwing around numbers like a million uh, Bitcoin, it, it seems easy now um, as we're, you know, $15,000 Bitcoin. Um, the, the numbers, so I'm more on that suddenly side of things. When the next having the the entire annual supply that'll be mined uh, with the rewards is 160,000 uh, Bitcoin. Um, when that gets soaked up, man, when that's another Michael Saylor comes on the scene or an Apple, there's not a lot to go around. And when it when suddenly people see the value of this Bitcoin and governments getting in, guess what? It's easy to get that first amount off the market, but now you got to go yeah. into the pockets of everybody that is just holding and see what it's worth, okay? That's what's going to be really cool to see play out because I'll tell you what, man, I know a lot of people I see in this room, they won't be selling at all. Yeah, you're going to have to dig deep, deep into that offer stack in order to to, to satisfy those positions. I think people forget that a lot of the, uh, a lot of the buying back in the last run-up and uh, towards last November was GBDC in there. That was one entity, man. Um, and and right now, I think there's a lot less Bitcoin available for sale. So when the, when when a large player comes in and and gets busy, man, and there's so many of them, wicked. Um, I was just gonna say, I mean, I think I think what's more interesting about governments and specifically U.S. government getting involved in Bitcoin isn't so much like if they're going to buy and hold Bitcoin, but how they might use the network in order to benefit themselves from like a cybersecurity standpoint, which I think is the the angle that Jason's actually more aligning towards. Like it's not so much trying to get, you know, the U.S. government to buy Bitcoin, but it's more to like get them to see how they can use this network in their advantage. I mean, we're talking about Lightning Network being like the new internet, so you know how you know how how much the internet gave various governments advantages over each other. Now imagine how much the Lightning Network is going to give various governments advantages over to each other if they learn how to use it first. I mean, I, I'm incredibly intrigued to see how this guy's position shifts a little bit over time, which I have to assume it inevitably will, because. Bitcoin changes you, as we all know. And as you dive further down the rabbit hole and as you study this thing more, uh, it, I, I'm interested to see just sort of how his uh, story evolves, if at all. Um, you know, the, the government, for all their intentions to get involved or not, they, they can't fundamentally change it at the protocol level. So that is the the huge twist, and it, it seems to me that no matter how strongly he feels, they should get involved, and in what way they should get involved, there's always this sort of ongoing government agenda that has to sort of allow that to, uh, you know, the government has its own protocol. They have to allow this in. So it, it's it's a very interesting sort of clashing of worlds. 
um, and maybe uh, maybe Jason is some sort of Trojan horse in getting parts of the government to see it in a new way. But uh, certainly, it's it's going to be interesting to see um, the next couple of years what happens here. I I highly doubt it's going to be big entrenched powers that jump in first. I think we're going to see a lot more El Salvador's before we see a U.S. really jump in with both feet. Here's the thing that I wonder about, though, because human nature is we're all driven by, there's a saying, you're either running from something, you're running to something, right? It's all risk and reward, pain and pleasure. Like if you, if somebody's chasing you with a hot branding iron, you're going to run one direction. If you're trying to achieve a certain thing, you're going to run towards that thing, right? All humans operate that way, regardless of whether you're the president of the United States or the secretary of defense or anyone else. So the bottom line is if Jason's able to make a cogent and rational argument, and like Peter said, let's say he gets one minute to do so. I I think it's more likely he's going to get five or more. But let's say he's able to make a cogent argument in that span of time for the advantages disadvantages you know if you fail to adopt bitcoin this is what could happen if you do adopt bitcoin this is what could happen i'm very curious to see whether the human behavior responses to that have an effect on their decision making good morning sam callahan how you doing man good morning what's up we're talking about, um, you know, how Jason Lowry is recently summoned to the White House to uh, present on Bitcoin. We're we're, we're yeah. talking about that and and what the ramifications of that might be. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, it's not. I don't see how it could be bad at all. I, I you know, over time, I whenever somebody new comes into the space and gets a lot of followers and stuff. You know, I let them kind of prove themselves over time with like proof of work and what they say. And um, people are critical of him just for his background, but for what he says and what he writes, I think he understands Bitcoin at a deep level. And so I think it's always a good thing when somebody who understands Bitcoin is in the ears of these policymakers and, and politicians. So I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the the flip side of that is worse, right? Like, if you get a bunch of shitcoin VCs in their ear, is that a good thing? Probably not, right? So, no. one way or another, yeah. somebody's going to have to talk to these people, right? I'd I rather mean, right now, it's a bunch of Ripple guys, so it's a good thing Jason's there. I think cause... exactly. Like, what the fuck, dude? If you want a sixteen Z in there, fucking advising the White House on on why you know shitcoins are better. I mean, good God, that that can't be good. Ant doesn't yeah, like it. Ant, why don't you like it? Ant, Ant, Ant doesn't like it. Yeah, he's up, over Ant? there. He's brooding right now. I, I can see from across <laughs> Has he already the gone off about it? <laughs> I, I, I lost connection actually when when I when I brought it up, so I didn't get to hear Ant's rant. Come on, I don't have one. I don't want to talk about it on the space. <laughs> no, I don't like it. Okay, okay. He doesn't want government to to govern him harder, uh, Daddy. Fair. It's understandable. So it's a fair so. concern. It's, it's going to happen either way. It would be my rebuttal. But yeah, they're going to. That's what I was saying. Is that they're going to get involved regardless of whether we want them to or whether we're ready for them to or whatever. It's going to happen. Why? Because at some point, nation states are going to have to contend with Bitcoin. They're going to have to. 
like just from a um, an, an energy projection and ability to defend themselves standpoint. Can't we look at it in terms of the country that has already adopted Bitcoin and, and maybe look at that as an example of what some governments are going to do so it's not all doom and gloom? Well, we can. I don't think it's doom and gloom. I, I personally, I, I, I would. It's like Sam said. I would much rather have a Bitcoiner in their in their ear than a bunch of shitcoin VCs. I mean, that you, you got a bunch of shitcoin VCs and they start spinning up all these these uh, schemes about how you can use FTX to launder that. That appears to be the, the Alex, tens of billions of the, dollars. That, that appears to be the normal iteration of what everybody, including governments, go through when it comes to um, Bitcoin. There's some, it there's absolutely some is. draw They're to like, shitcoinery until you understand what the fuck this thing is. Yeah. And well, to your the, point the shitcoinery is, is uh, just the next iteration of the fiat approach, right? And this is going to be the interesting thing is that, you know, uh, a country like the United States is the poster child for just incessantly growing debt and uh, thinking things through that fiat lens. That's the, the sort of difficult thing to have to adjust in order for them mm. to adopt Bitcoin. There, there you, you, you have to change that point of view if you adopt Bitcoin or else you'll well, lose you, your Bitcoin as fast as you get it. Okay, well, okay, let me ask you this though. Did somebody grab you and and change your point of view or did you have a light bulb moment and then walk through the door the one-way door i started uh acquiring some before i really figured it all out that's true right but my point is did somebody make you change your mind or did you have a light bulb moment where you walked through the one-way door and you understood what bitcoin was at which point you can't unsee it so alex what you're saying is uh they have to get wrecked first so they're going to get no, in, what I'm then saying get wrecked, is, then they'll figure it out. No, what I'm saying is every human being has a different path to the light bulb moment when you walk through the door. Every human being's experience there, as far as I can tell, is different. And what I'm saying is maybe somebody, uh, every, you know, these, these are humans. I, I, I assume even if they're lizard people, humans, they're still humans. So self-preservation comes into play with lizard people too, right? When they understand if they have that light bulb moment, I mean, that's what changes everything. Yeah, and to that yeah. point, Alex, it's, and I think Peter, you even said this too, but I mean, just think about, you know, I have El Salvador, right? And then the car, I mean, who knows what the hell they're doing, but, you know, just imagine three countries and then five countries and then seven countries, not, you know, 12 countries, everyone around the world seeing that that just compounds on itself, right? Then it becomes, at what point is that tipping point when the, a certain number of countries are looking like El Salvador is right now, even in the early stages and people, it just becomes so unbelievably obvious, even to the casual observer that any New York Times article can't, they can't even write bullshit anymore because it's so obvious and everyone's like, uh, why are we not doing that, right? So where, where is that tipping point? Yeah. At some point, the the actual obvious proof of work numbers become impossible to argue with. You know, we've always discussed this as what I consider to be bottom up. It's bottom up because you were asking, you know, you know, when did you see the light in a way? Um, the people that see, see the light and understand what Bitcoin represents for them 
is because they're not benefiting. Most people aren't benefiting from this current system. This is why it's going to be so difficult for the corporations and governments. Okay, they control that system. They're the closest ones to the spigot. They, they are incentivized to not want Bitcoin. This is why they're kicking that can down the road as far as possible. It, it's, it's the ones that aren't close to the spigot. Those, they're the ones that understand what Bitcoin can offer them. So when you know you send someone there to talk to the government, guess what? When when your campaigns are funded by these banks and corporations um, that are disincentivized to have Bitcoin, guess what? You 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 may give it um, you know a head nod. You'll give it yeah yeah oh yeah but that sounds great that sounds great. But until you see any action, I I don't trust anything that comes out of big government like that. Puppy was kind of making a similar point to what I was trying to get to earlier, which is that Bitcoin is adopted by each person individually when they see the value of Bitcoin for themselves and hopefully for all of humanity like we see it. And when you got somebody in power in government that's going to lose that power when they realize they don't control the money anymore, those people are going to be the hardest ones to convince. And they're not going to tell Jason what their agenda is. They're just going to want to hear what he has to say. And then they'll plot in how they can avoid losing their own power. And so for a while, I think large governments like ours are not going to adopt Bitcoin at the level that we understand Bitcoin and that we uh, feel is important to explain it to people. Whereas a small government like El Salvador with one guy who's essentially acting like a dictator right now, who seems to get Bitcoin for the humanity uh, aspect of it. You have a chance for one person to force Bitcoin on its little country. I don't see that happening in the U.S. And I do see a lot of fighting behind the scenes, people publicly saying how great Bitcoin is, but privately wanting to thwart the system for their own benefit so that they don't lose their power. So I yeah, still think Jim, it's a struggle. Go ahead. It, Jim, if your, your argument assumes that the people you're talking about are incapable of having the light bulb moment where they realize that Bitcoin will supersede all of those systems. No, that's They're... not what I believe at all. No, I believe everybody has the, the ability to have the light bulb moment. What I believe is that those people in power that have the light bulb moment are going to be pissed off. They're not going to want to jump right. over to that. But new see, system. it doesn't that's matter. It doesn't matter though, Jim, it doesn't matter well, whether, whether they're, it, let me, it doesn't matter whether they're pissed off. It doesn't matter whether they're scared. It doesn't matter whether they don't like it. Like if you if you are faced with an existential threat, you have two options. You either switch modes or you get eaten by the saber-toothed tiger that's about to disembowel you. And I suggest what I'm saying is human nature all throughout the history of mankind is once you figure something out like that, you're not going to just be like, "Well, fuck it, I'm mad." So I'm going to I'm going to sit here and fight this saber tooth with my bare hands. No, they will figure out a way to adapt. That's what humans do. Fair enough. But one person at a time and each person in government that has the light bulb moment now has to convince their superior and then the superior above that. And a no, lot they of don't. people have to be. You know, no, they don't. So? Wait, wait. No. How does the government wait? So let's talk about the government as a big entity. How does the government participate in Bitcoin without lots of people? They don't agree. The individuals do. They don't like, look, if I'm in a situation where I have that light bulb moment and I'm surrounded by people 
who completely disagree. What am I going to do? I'm going to start fucking stacking. That's what I'm going to do. And then when I have an opportunity to make slight changes or suggestions, I'm going to do that. They're not going to sit there and go, I'm now a Bitcoiner and rip their clothes off and fucking run around the office naked and plant a Bitcoin flag in the middle of it and go, fuck all you guys, you need to be Bitcoiners or else. No, they're going to buy Bitcoin and they're going to do what they can within their circle of influence to slowly change it. Yeah. Bottom, you're describing, bottom, you're describing a system person. where government dissolves slowly on its own, where the U.S. government does not control large amounts of Bitcoin for the benefit of the people. No, I'm but not. Individuals can, why, why, is that, why is that mutually exclusive, Joe? It's not. I don't. Both uh, well, can happen. Show me an example where large groups of people control large amounts of Bitcoin on behalf of other people. Show me as a system that, that, where that's going to work. And then I'll accept the fact that Bitcoin will be adopted by the U.S. government, made a national reserve currency of some kind, and it, everything keeps going. I don't see it. Grayscale seems to be doing pretty well. Yeah, it's I a feel, private organization I, I, run I by like, a couple people. It's not a government. Come on, let's get. Let's I feel get, like give me a comparison like that, that rivals a government. I feel or like two. I'm bashing my head against a rock. You're, 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 we're talking in theoreticals, and you're like, well, my theoretical is better than your theoretical. Like, sh no. Anyway. I'm not saying that at all, Alex. I'm looking <laughs> you, for the logic you, you are here. How does Bitcoin get adopted that. by the U.S. government, a giant entity with millions of people working there? How does the government adopt Bitcoin? One person at a time, not one agency, not one group. They're not going to have ever enough power to to run a bunch of Bitcoin on behalf of 300 million people. I never, I don't see it happen. The government dissolves before that mm -hmm. ever happens. In my well, opinion. but hold up, Jim. The, the government, government doesn't, doesn't currently operate for the population. They're, they're operating basically for themselves. So uh, what's the difference if they're holding bonds and mortgage-backed securities and things like that or, you know, Bitcoin as well in the mix? It's it's the another asset already, in a portfolio to start. The government already holds hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin. I mean, this isn't theoretical. They're already doing it. So, but like, they're not benefiting the people. The government's supposed to work for us. Nothing dude, you're, I you're, see... You're conflating, you're conflating like motive with actual practice. Like it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you're excited about why they're doing it. It doesn't matter really whether they're doing it for the people. All right. It, that's irrelevant. We're talking about reality right now. All right. Look, I got to go. <laughs> I actually can't hang for the second half of the show. We're going to be switching over and we're going to be talking about time chain. We got some of the best experts in the industry, in my opinion, to talk about this, uh, we're featuring Ant and our very own Ant and TC, who have both built uh, time chain-based projects uh, and digging deep into that. I want to hit announcements really quick. We're going to hand it over to Sam Callahan, who's going to be co-hosting the show for the rest of the show today. Uh, you are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we do this every day, Monday through Friday. We do talk about Bitcoin. Sometimes we have some rather pointed arguments about it, but that's okay because that's what we call the crucible. That's how we find the truth. We, we take a subject, we analyze it, we crush it, we burn it, we torture it, and out the other side, hopefully, we arrive closer at what is the truth. Uh, it is also the place for your morning news. Prefer to hang out for some of the smartest minds in the industry to chill, talk about what's going on. It is a podcast up on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. If you can't catch the live show, you can catch it there. 
what else? Specific Bitcoin was the best Bitcoin event of 2022. Everybody is saying that. Don't miss next year's. We're doing it again. The tickets are currently on sale at less than half price. You can go to PacificBitcoin2023.com. They're fully refundable until July 1st. So in other words, if you buy your tickets and it turns out you can't make it or the dates don't work or something like that, you can either sell it probably for a profit to other Bitcoiners or you can get a refund, whatever you want to do. Um, and then finally, I work with Swan. We do lots of neat stuff at Swan. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. Not only do I work there, I'm also a big fan. I actually quite love it. They pay me to talk to people about Bitcoin all day, every day. How, how cool is that? Um, we have Swan IRA products. We can do tax loss harvesting. We have an app now. We have this thing called Swan Private. Um, we do things for business, Bitcoin benefit plan. If you have employees, we do take international customers. Um, oh, by the way, I want to dispel one thing that's incorrect. I got an email from a guy today. Apparently, people are going around saying, oh, you can't buy more than $1,000 a day on Swan. Uh, actually, that's not true. If you wire funds, you can do any amount you want. Hundreds of thousands into the millions, into the eight figures if you absolutely need to. There's no limits on that. So anyway, I'm signing off. Hand it over to Sam Callahan. Love all you guys. Everybody have a great day. See you, bro. <clears throat> um, you might be able to sell that ticket for profit in USD terms, but you will surely lose uh, Satoshis in that trade. All right. Uh, now that dad's gone, we can party, you know? <laughs> um, so we are talking about the time chain, which is one of the coolest subjects in Bitcoin, in my opinion. You know, we can get away from the macro and the price and talk about more important things like how Bitcoin and proof of work is a decentralized clock, which is freaking cool. Um, so if, if you're maybe newer to Bitcoin, this might sound really crazy. But it's actually probably the biggest breakthrough, in my opinion, is that Bitcoin figured out how to be a clock across a distributed network. Um, and even Satoshi Nakamoto, in, in the paper, he said, we propose a solution to the double spending problem using a peer-to-peer -peer distributed timestamp server to generate computational proof of the chronological order of transactions. And that is the big breakthrough. And so I'm going to throw it out to TC or Ant. Um, what is a time chain? Maybe you guys can break it down better than I can. And I think it's a really important to topic. So either you guys want to take it. TC, you got your hand up. Yeah, I mean, just just to, to really get started, um, time chain is just the correct term for what people call the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, you just mentioned it, that Satoshi dubbed this solution to the double spend problem, the time chain. Um, in fact, in the white paper, there's no mention of the word blockchain. So <clears throat> we, we've gotten so accustomed to just saying blockchain, blockchain. And uh, there was a heavy push several years ago from a lot of VCs uh, and crypto types saying uh, blockchain, not not Bitcoin. That you know the big innovation here is blockchain. Um, what a lot of uh, Bitcoiners kind of realize that crypto people don't is that blockchain on its own is actually quite useless. 
uh, and it's a it's it's a pretty bad uh, piece in a technology stack without all the other pieces of architecture that Bitcoin has. So Bitcoin's use of a blockchain in its architecture is the only implementation where you actually <clears throat> achieve this innovation, where you achieve this authoritative chronology um, that prevents a double spend. And that is the sort of backbone underpinning of, of what makes Bitcoin powerful and secure and reliable. Um, but it's time chain, not blockchain. So it's as simple as just swapping out the word in your brain. It's going to be tricky at first, but uh, you do it enough times and it comes natural. It's time chain, not blockchain. So that's really the easiest way, I think, for uh, people who are just encountering the word time chain to understand it is, first of all, that's what Satoshi called uh, Bitcoin's ledger. He called it a time chain. And, and the importance there, I, I think, is, is, is the time. It's not just a bunch of blocks. It's the fact that they're authoritatively time-stamped. And that sequence, that chronology is immutable. And that's where you prevent a double spend. That's where you have this really amazing thing. So that's what I would say to start. So maybe we could talk a little bit more about, you talked about how that solves the double spend problem and why this was the breakthrough in terms of how to keep players in sync or, or participants in sync across a distributed network. And, and I don't know if you could maybe break down, like what's the problem that was before Bitcoin that nobody could solve before Satoshi came out with the white paper in terms of this issue. Yeah. I mean, if you're, I mean, we talk about double spend and like the problems that Bitcoin solves, but I think that, you know, when I think about your question in this context, I think about the, the triple entry accounting aspect, like the prosperity that comes from uh, an advancement of that magnitude. Like when you think of, you know, when you said just a second ago, the way that, you know, it kind of keeps everybody on this, you know, I, I can't paraphrase you now, but, but, you know, it's keeping everybody on the same ledger. It's, you know, uh, w using these timestamps, these, you know, as TC said, these authoritative timestamps in the time chain, it allows hu humanity to have access to triple entry accounting. And when you think about accounting and, you know, there being really these two big advancements in, you know, this field, each advancement, uh, you know, you look at the human prosperity after the, you know, after those advancements were made and it's off the charts, like a vertical line, pretty much, you know. And so the fact that we're all here living in that moment right now, people talk about being early and all that, but the fact that we're here uh, witnessing the the basically the I, I say creation or invention, but it's really like the discovery of triple entry accounting for everybody. That has potential and ramifications for this planet that I think that we think about, but I don't think where anybody really has a bead on what it's going to really do for humanity. You know, just to add on, I, I love what you said, Ant, and and just to add on to that. Um, uh, just on a more granular level, uh, what's happening here is we're 
we're talking about something digital and, you know, this is much goes to this sort of, you know, really important sequence based on timestamps, but it also goes to the fact that, you know, you, you, you can actually control the supply. You can prevent the duplication of something that is digital. Um, and the, this whole system sort of keeps everything legit in an environment where up to the point of Bitcoin, anything digital could just bypass these kinds of rules because you could just copy it. You know, digital information is extremely copyable. Uh, and so th- this system is, is a innovation of, of proportions that even today, I think most of us can't even begin to conceive what this is going to impact and change because the, the scarcity comes from this uh, architecture as much as the sort of authoritative sequence. So uh, it, it's really incredible because, you know, essentially every single transaction, once it's confirmed, now uh, establishes limitations of further subsequent transactions. If you're holding a million sats and you send those million sats to somebody else, once that transaction's confirmed, you don't have those million sats anymore. And that's really the key thing in an environment where you're talking about something that's digital. Because prior to this system, you could have just made a you know couple thousand copies of that million sats uh, and just sit there and continue to spend the same copied thing over and over again. But this system uh, prevents that. That's the only reason we're all here talking about it is because it actually does function as money. It is actually the soundest money that humans have ever had. And it's because of these key attributes. Yeah, well said. I I think the key point is that any ledger, it needs order. Um, You know, you have to know whether somebody has the money um, to spend it or if it's already been spent. And that's the double spent problem. And you need to have a point in time that every participant can agree upon. And that's every 10 minutes when that block, it, when that timestamp happens, it sets that point of time that everybody can kind of agree upon that, okay, that happened. I like, to, I like to think of mining as like a conveyor belt. And you have a huge sheet of metal that comes across. And then when that timestamp happens, it goes boom. And then that sets that time. And that's, and that's how it works. And that's how you know uh, there's an order in the ledger in terms of who spent what. And that's how this thing works. And that's how it's, it's a time chain. And so I think the difficulty adjustment is a huge part of this, right? And so I don't know if either one of you guys can um, extrapolate on how the difficulty adjustment plays into this. Anybody can jump on that. but I can comment real yeah, wicked, quick wicked go for it yeah um i mean so so basically depending on how quickly the blocks are coming in or how slowly um the issuance of bitcoin is set in stone or or the targeted issuance is set in stone so we know you know how much how many how many bitcoin should be mined um in a given you know span of time and so if, if blocks are coming in too quickly uh, in other words if the timestamps are you know um coming in closer than 10 minutes on average, uh, then every 2016 blocks 
which is roughly two weeks if they're coming in, you know, the way they should be. Um, but if they're coming in quicker, you know, uh, then, then the difficulty goes up and it gets harder to mine. Um, and the reason why they were coming in quicker in the first place is, is very likely because, you know, there were more miners on the net, on, you know, on the network mining than there were the previous two weeks. And so they were hitting those blocks a little bit faster than they were before. So when the difficulty goes up, then um, all those new miners that just joined uh, have to compete, um, uh, you know, a little, in a little bit harder fashion to bring in new blocks, and uh, you get the issuance back on track. And that's part of. I think this is also like a, a very key point of what makes Bitcoin hard money as well, right? Like the fact that we can predict. Um, you know, how how much Bitcoin is going to be mined far far into the future, right? I mean, we know with with a pretty high degree of certainty um, that on average for the next you know year and a half, nine hundred Bitcoin are going to be mined a day, right? It might be like a few Bitcoin more, a few Bitcoin less, but in terms of any monetary system that we've ever had as humans, I mean, we've never <laughs> never had even anything close to this degree of certainty, right? I mean, like. It is fucking insane how 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 crazy that is, right? We have a totally automated system that um, handles the issuance of Bitcoin, and there's really nothing else like it. Yeah, it's it's one of the most exquisite engineering solutions of like ever in my mind, and you know the fact that it's I mean it's such small lines of code. It's like it, it's a beautiful system. And once you fully understand or start to understand the, the way that it works, uh, you'll lose a lot of it, it like smashes a lot of the FUDs out of your mind, like minor death spiral, stuff like that. Whenever you start hearing these headlines about price being a certain point and like miners are going to go off the network and oh my gosh, Bitcoin's going to fail and die. Like they're not thinking about the difficulty adjustment when they write those types of headlines. Well, maybe they are. But yeah, and, and the other thing that, that is important to remember is despite few lines of code, there's the whole uh, fact that the code meets the real world through uh, difficulty-adjusted proof-of-work. So it's not just the fact that uh, those in the mining portion of the architecture are having to expend real-world energy at a real cost and that this difficulty adjustment kicks in every two weeks to ensure a balancing effect, no matter how many or how few participants are mining in order to target 10 minute average block times. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road. The it's, it's code, it's real world participants. It's the, uh, boundaries and limitations of the expenditure of real cost and real energy it's all these things coming together and this is why this thing i think is so challenging for people who are on the outside just peering at the price and trying to understand what the hell's going on let alone the the whole fog and cloud of of you know crypto and shit coins that just distracts and confuses you know this thing is truly truly special Something that you said, TC, um, sorry, Surfer Jim, but something that you said, TC, is, is the key to this. You said when the code meets the world, 
And our fiat overlords will never understand that. Oh, they will. They will. They will understand that, Peter. It's just a matter of time. Surfer Jim, you got your hand up, man? Uh, yeah, just wanted to add to this concept of the time chain, the idea that when we look back at all of human history, um, we have people that wrote down what they observed. Um, we don't know their biases. We don't know if what they wrote down was the truth. As humans, we've tried to uncover our own history through archaeology and other things. And we believe we know what's happened over the past million years on this planet, but nobody really knows. But within the time chain, we absolutely know. And this is a new sort of concept for humanity to be able to literally trust the exact history. And you can verify it yourself. So you don't actually have to trust somebody telling you this is the history. Now, I recognize this is the history of a, a protocol for creating and um, monitoring digital files, which humans can use as money. But the idea that you are beholden to this truth changes your own nature at, at a very deep fundamental level. You can't cheat in this system. And that causes you to look around at the world. I think Bitcoiners in general are highly honorable, high integrity, hardworking people that see this as an alignment with their values. It's all the other shitheads out there that are trying to lie, cheat and steal to get themselves ahead in life that are going to have to face this reality one day and align themselves with the truth of this time chain if they want to participate in the future economic uh, environment of the world once Bitcoin is the money of, of all people. And I think the honesty of the time chain forces honesty in our dealings with each other, at, at least at some level. Some people will always lie, cheat, and steal. I just think the vast majority of people will come to see the truth that is within the time chain and align around that in ways that were never as obviously self-beneficial as aligning with the Bitcoin time chain. And so I just think that the incentives that were created with this crazy discovery are they improve the lives of everybody who sees it correctly and aligns with it and that's this community right here and i think one person at a time little by little couple generations from now the world's going to be a better place because more people will align with this truth that's been created i just need to jump in for a second because uh look surfer jim i think just set the new world record for number of hours in spaces with his hand up waiting to speak the consummate professional the gentleman he is always there waiting jim you know we love you man we love you hey can we change this from blockchain i know you guys are talking about time chain hey let's call it what it is man proof chain this is proof baby this proof you've got you got a set amount you got a set amount and it's proven i want to call it proof chain sorry puppy it's already a time chain Puppy's going to change his, his name to PC. I should probably go buy proof chain stats anyway. Oh, com. fuck. No, I just bought it, dude. You got to buy it for me. God damn it. <laughs> That's proof chain chats. That's proof chain stats. <laughs> Puppy, are you drinking already? <laughs> 8 a.m., man. Hell no. Hey, like like well, TC was saying this earlier, it, you know, it, it, as we know, Bitcoin makes everyone 
not conform. I don't think that's the right word, but it, it's a it's a funnel in a way, right? Where you can take Christine Lagarde, you can take someone yes, here yes. in this group, you can you can take people, and you all kind of come out in that, that same time chain at the bottom of the funnel, right? Like it's this wide funnel. That's what Bitcoin's for is capturing everyone over time, and then it brings it's uh, you out. it's like the bumpers uh, when you yeah, go bowling. Yes, yes, you know, like they they put those bumpers in the little gutters, so you just can't go into the gutter. That that's what Bitcoin 100%. is. Can we go back to the difficulty adjustment just for a second? I mean, how beautiful is this city? I mean, how truly beautiful. Although, um, Sailor, I think, took the piss one time. I was listening to a, to a podcast with him. Oh, yeah, difficulty adjustment. Yeah, that's just a backup uh, system you would have on any type of aircraft. That's nothing. I don't think it might. This thing is great. Uh, Sailor just uh, pissed on my parade there. But I will tell you this, man. If you want to go back and watch the beauty of this, Watch what happened when China banned all the mining. And we waited for it. We waited for it. This was a year and a half ago. But damn, that difficulty adjustment kicked in. And basically, look, if you're new here, look, someone can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's, it's like an Easter egg hunt, okay? You have different levels of difficulty you would do for someone that is a teenager versus someone that's three or four years old. So after China, we, we kicked it back to somebody being three years old. You just put that egg out in the open for that little kid to find. Okay? That's my understanding of difficulty adjustment. Yeah, I mean, to be a little bit more specific, so like, you know, roughly half of the, you know, hash rate was, was it was estimated was coming from inside China. And when they banned mining, um, we saw pretty quickly, you know, the hash rate drop. Um, by nearly half. And um, as a result, right, the inflation, the monetary inflation rate of Bitcoin got cut pretty much in half. So we were cruising along at about 1.8, We dropped down to 1% and then difficulty kicked in and got a lot easier to mine. And even though those miners weren't online anymore, the rest that stayed got to mine Bitcoin a lot easier and it brought that uh, monetary inflation rate back up to the target. And then once all those miners in China started to relocate and the hash rate started to go back up, then we saw it actually go the other way. So then the difficulty started going back up again. Um, the monetary inflation rate actually rose a little bit in the interim. But but yeah, I mean, like it, it's just a beautiful system and it keeps on keeps on working like and with no intervention which is just so crazy like the fact that we have money that works on its own um at least in terms of its issuance i don't know man it's just so mind-blowing to me i think it's funny too that there's you know there's so many amazing things about bitcoin some of them real some of them you know not real they're memes but they're still amazing and, you know, the difficulty adjustment every, you know, 2016 blocks, uh, you know, it, it checks itself, uh, make sure that it stays on track as we've been talking about. And I know that, you know, 14 days, there's like 20,000, it's like 20,160 minutes. So, you know, it makes sense. I don't know why he chose two, 2016. Somebody probably does. But it's funny. I remember somebody said it. I don't remember who did, though. I wish... I could credit them, but they found that 2016 backwards is 6102. 
And I just think that's so hilarious. That's that's one of my favorite little Easter eggs in Bitcoin. Yeah, I think like everything is divisible by three or something. So three, six, and nine seem to be the themes for the the numbers. And 21. Don't forget about that one. That was pretty important. <laughs> hey, um, this is awesome discussion, but I, I would hate it if, um, you know, Ant didn't get a chance to talk about his amazing project that he made, timechainstats.com. And, and, and I made a little thing too recently, and uh, I really did want to share about that. So, um, Ant, why don't you tell us about your site and how that came about and what it is and uh, tell us. We were going to get there, bro. But yeah, let's go. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thanks, Swan, too, for, you know, putting us on. I mean, it's really nice that y'all made time to talk about our little projects. You know, I absolutely love what TC built. And uh, so I, I, I actually want to skip ahead to that. But I am going to, I can talk about, uh, you know, my project very quickly, uh, you know, so that we can, we can get over there. But I'll just say, I mean, I came into Bitcoin, uh, 2017 and, uh, I, that was already after years of ignoring it. Like I knew about it earlier and just ignored it, thought it was a scam, whatever. And, you know, I'm programmer. Uh, I went to, you know, uh, like, design school i spent like a lot of time in, in ad agencies and things like this so i have the ability to like just like create things and create websites and whatever and when i got into bitcoin i noticed that you know that, that was like right at the heart of the block size war basically and literally right after i bought bitcoin like it was so soon into the block size war where i was like finally getting off zero here i go and then boom, did I even buy the right thing? So it was like, there was a lot of confusion early on. I'll leave it at that. And a lot of different websites. I was going to all these different places to get information. And, you know, so I just kind of started building my website. It was a bulletin board at first. It basically like tracked, you know, I had like prices and you know, basically like block basics and links to things that I like, you know, just like a place where I could store it for myself. And, you know, it was early days. Like I was showing like top 10 shitcoin prices versus Bitcoin and all this. Like it was very early days. And but if I would see something out there that I liked, I would just like add it to the site. And... I remember it was a hobby project. It was like, I wasn't even really using it. Like I had this website that I had built and I was putting, you know, it was doing these things, tracking different data points and whatever. I could send it to people, but I personally wasn't using it. Like I remember I had to like force myself to use it uh, early on and to get away from these other sites. I don't remember like the exact timing, but I remember when Binance bought CoinMarketCap like that was one of the final steps for me. I was like, okay, I built this site. I'm going to try to like really make it really good because I don't trust these other sites out here. I don't want to have to go to these sites anymore. I want something that's like just mine. And around that time, I was also, you know, like going through that journey where you're getting to Bitcoin only. 
And <clears throat> I didn't want to have a bunch of shit coins on the site that I went to. And <clears throat> that's basically how it started. And, you know, the, the feature set kept growing. Like I said, if I see something out there, I just add it. Or I'll, you know, if I see something that I like that I can improve upon or add it to the site, then I'll just add it. Or if people ask me about stuff, then I'll put it in there. That's one of the things right away that I can say about Bitcoiners is I've noticed that if you build something that has value, they will support you. Like, it's been amazing. All the users coming in and they always are talking about time chain stats. I mean, literally every day I hop on Twitter and I've got people talking positively about the site. And or people are sending me DMs telling me nice things about the site, telling me things they want to see. It's been really special. And, you know, the, the users have contributed a lot. Like Mr. Hoddle wanted to see uh, cattle prices in Bitcoin. And I added that for him. Just fun stuff. There was some mining stats that people had requested and I put that on. And so, you know, like the, the feedback from the, from the community has been really awesome. The support. Uh, Corey was actually one of the very first people uh, to, to support it publicly and to kind of push my site. Um, I had made, like I said, I worked in advertising, so I know how to make like little ads and stuff. And I made this like testimonial ad. You've probably seen it going around. It'll have like someone in Twitter and Bitcoin Twitter talking about time chain stats. And his was the first one. Like he was the first one that wanted to do that. Like I don't pay these people. I don't have, I don't make any money from this website. It's just a personal website. So, you know, there's like no paid advertising. These are all real testimonials that are going around and it's coming from the users like Pierre, Richard, and just like all these awesome people. So I want to say that some of the cool things about it are that because it's my own personal website, um, you don't have to actually use it. Like it's, there's no like, it, our friend Bilson always says it's up to you. And I agree with that. Like I need it. So as long as I'm a Bitcoiner, it's going to be there, but you don't have to use it. You know, it's easy just to go look up prices somewhere else or whatever's important to you, but it's there for you, which is awesome. Timechainstats.com. That's timechainstats.com. It's up to you. Yeah, and I'll just say, there's no conflicts of interest, which is awesome. So that was one of the key factors was that I didn't trust those sites. Whenever I kind of like started tempering the site and getting it into something like kind of useful for everybody was realizing that I couldn't trust these other sites. So there's no conflict of interest. Like I don't have people coming to me and trying to like, you know, get stats put on the site for payment or any of that other kind of stuff. I don't have ads. There's no advertising. I'm not, you, you can't even create a user account. I'm not like tracking people's data and selling it to people. Like I literally make $0 from this website. It's just a site that I need that everybody's welcome to use. It's so cool because there's no boardroom, you know, there's no advertisers that I have to make happy. You know, I own the whole thing. So if I want to make a change, I just do it. And in fact, uh, the next big update is basically what I'm calling, you know, I've been talking about it for a while, but like, I'm basically calling this update the dashboard killer. I mean, this is like really major. Uh, all this stuff that I'm adding. Sorry, I'm getting a phone call. But there's been like a lot of stuff coming. This is like really major. So I'm very excited about it. 
Uh, I can't wait for people to see it. I've got some paid projects in front of it. So that's what's taking so long, but also because I'm throwing everything in, in this update. So it's going to be really cool. All this stuff that time chain stats has been lacking. Uh, you know, users have been telling me and it's happening. Like just the other day I was on a space. Somebody was saying, do you have mining stats based on country or whatever? And I was like, no, not yet. And then people don't know, but I'm over here working on that. So Really cool stuff. It, it has been added to lop.net, which was really exciting for me. And uh, I guess the last thing I'll say is um, there is a sister site, btclexicon.com. And this happened because I got tired of having to like send everybody links, basically. You know, I had time chain stats. My friends and family kept asking me, you know, what is this? What is that? And I had all these links I was sending out to everybody. But all that got killed. I said, let me just make a little a little glossary of Bitcoin terms with a Bitcoin only focus and uh, start sending people that. So timechainstats.com is Bitcoin only. It's free. There's no advertising. You don't actually need to use it, but you should. And uh, yeah, and btclexicon.com as well. Dude, I, I have been geeking out on timechainstats.com <laughs> all morning. Um, I think I knew about it, but man, I just like saved it in my in my bookmark bar because the, the data on here, you're almost underselling it. It is so cool what you created here. Uh, some of these like unique stats, like ownership, economics, like 21 million Bitcoin divided by every person in the world, what one Bitcoin can buy, like, uh, like you said, per cattle or like Big Macs, like how many Big Mac burgers Bitcoin could buy? Sam, <laughs> like, Sam, the Big Macs are the important one because I'll tell you what. It's the ramen. You wanna, the ramen's the important one. If, if you want to know what company in the world, if you want to know what company in the world knows their overhead and the cost of everything they do, it's McDonald's, my friend. McDonald's knows. That is the closest thing you'll find to inflation. Look, I'll be honest with you. Yes, I like my um, morning. I, I, I enjoy the um, I enjoy the hash browns there. The hash browns are fantastic. Okay, egg McMuffin hash brown. I've seen it go up in price over 25%. I used to give them a $5 bill. I'd get two cents back. It was $4.98. Now that son of a bitch is over $6.50 here. So don't tell me about inflation, my friend. Yeah, but how many sats, Pubby? How many sats is it? There you go. That's the real measure. Hey, I just wanted to add on, um, Pubby, I'm not sure if you cut out or something. Your mic's still open. But um, I just wanted to add on, you know, Ant's site, the timechainstats.com is sort of, in my mind, it's like a advancement of the concept when you go look at uh, something like maybe Clark Moody's dashboard. That was one of the first dashboards that I ever found uh, for Bitcoin. Um, you know, as you're as you're discovering Bitcoin and going down the rabbit hole, you you start out, of course, just looking at price, and you see. I, I love what Ant said about you see these, you know, market websites that have just you know the the thousands of shit coins and Bitcoin sitting there at the top. But you know, um, it, it changed the game when you start seeing the actual data of what the network is doing. Because now you're not just looking at price, you're looking at Bitcoin itself. So I, I loved Clark Moody's dashboard when I first found that. Time chain stats to me is like the sort of next evolution of that because it's just presented in a much more sort of beautiful way. 
And there's also like, it's sneaky, but uh, you can reorder the little widgets. He's got these boxes with different kinds of data and you can drag and drop and kind of reorder the layout to your preference of what information you want to see higher. Um, really, really cool. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Thanks, TC. Yeah, there's a lot of Easter eggs and, and hidden things about time chain stats that, especially if you are a Bitcoin-only person, uh, it, they kind of have little meaning for you. And uh, there's a lot of things to hover over, um, a lot of stuff. So, yeah, just last thing I'll say about it is just I really do appreciate the support from everybody. Uh, it, it has been motivating to keep building it out, you know, and to keep making it better. Uh, all of the positive feedback that I received. So, you know, thank you all very much. and definitely use timechainstats.com. It's going to be there for you. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, what TC said too, it's like an extension of Clark Moody and, and Bitbo, but you you take it to a new level, my friend. So congratulations on on this project and it's such a great resource for the community. So thank thanks to you, Ant. It's, it's such a great one. My favorite one I'm looking at right now is 21 million Bitcoin divided by the planets in the solar system. <laughs> There's 2,625,000 Bitcoin per, per planet, if anybody was wondering. But that's the kind of stuff you can find at timechainstats.com. How, how many planets did you count, though? Because uh, I don't know. Missing, Do you count Pluto? A couple. Did you count Pluto, Ant? Do you count Planet X? <laughs> I did not <laughs> I count know, Pluto, man. I believe, and I, and I did not count Nibiru or whatever that's called. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I don't mean to upset our, our overlords. <laughs> One of which is TC, by the way. Yeah. Well, TC. I will say one thing too that that uh, I, I forgot to mention was um, as a good example of something that, uh, as far as like the sites that I don't trust and things like that. Do y'all remember like last year? Maybe it was last year when all the sites went nuts. And like when I say all the sites, price. I don't throw around the word all, but it was like a lot of them. And they were showing Bitcoin at like crazy numbers and, and all of this. Even Yahoo picked it up because Yahoo's pulling from one of these sites. But the way that I have time chain stats data coming in, that like it wasn't affected. My site wasn't affected during that. So just something I'll add. Yeah, that's what? awesome. I do remember that. It was a crazy couple of days. I wonder how that would be affected if like all exchanges and liquidity providers went under and like, are you pulling from like peer to peer, uh, uh, you know, sites as well, like BISC or, or whatever? Well, there's always a way. <laughs> I'm just saying it didn't go down that time. <laughs> Essentially the Oracle problem, right? Um, well, and congrats, man. It's, it's super cool. Everyone should check it out. Who's listening. Um, TC though, you, you also made a cool resource, man. And it's called the time chain calendar. So do you want to tell us about that? Because I've been checking that out too. And it's equally as cool. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Um, so, uh, yeah, I made a thing. It's very, very new. Um, like two and a half weeks old new. Um, this thing did not exist prior to the day before I, I went to uh, Pacific Bitcoin. So I think it was the Monday of that week of Pacific Bitcoin is when this went live. Um, so 
this thing is really, really fresh. It's really new. I still consider it somewhat of a prototype. I am actively working on it every day. So if you check back, you're going to see changes, new features, bug fixes constantly coming in. But what is this thing? Time chain calendar. Um, I had the idea in my head going back um, about a year. And it's funny, too, because Guy Swan contacted me when he first saw it. And he told me he had thought of a similar thing about four years ago, but never got around to making it. But essentially, um, I think of it like um, mempool.space went out on a, on a date with a block clock and they got really drunk. And this is the offspring. Uh, it's basically a part block clock in the sense that the most prominent giant number in the middle of the thing is the block height. Um, but basically this is a little web app that is, is getting sort of a fire hose of real time data straight from mempool.spaces API. They, they provide access to their data under the hood that allows me to essentially get real time information from them. And I built this, uh, client side little web app that consumes that data and displays it. So basically, this is kind of like a new concept of a visualization of the progress of the time chain. You're going to see the blocks progress. For each block, you're going to see how long ago it got confirmed, how many transactions were in it, how many fees that block generated for miners. In the upper left corner, you're going to see the epoch, the block subsidy currently, and the supply. In the upper right corner, you're going to see your preference of conversion, either Moscow time or cuck bucks. You can change that setting in the little settings icon if you click on that. Um, and then there's also on the bottom portion of the interface is mempool data. So you see the the set of fee prior, fees, uh, fees by priority. Um, there, there's only also, one question, TC. Hold on. I'm almost done. When, hang on. When hang on to your Apple horses. Watch app. That's what Thanks, I was going to ask. Um, yeah, yeah, you guys are, are 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 all on the same page. I've gotten that request about seventy three times already. So um, basically, uh, I'll get to that too. I promise. Uh, so the the bottom portion shows the fees by priority. You see the number of transactions unconfirmed currently in the mempool. You can also I just added the uh, number of mempool blocks, which is just an estimation of how many blocks those mempool transactions might fill. Just recently, if you were paying attention, you saw the fees really spike. You saw the mempool get totally jammed up. Um, mempool blocks went up to like 150. It's really extraordinary at times when that happens. So my, my project here is an attempt to try to convey that information in a new way so that at a glance, kind of like when you glance over at a calendar, you, you, you can see where the, the time chain is. The, the orange circle is the blocks to the halving. When that little indicator reaches the 12 o'clock position, we're at a halving. The red circle indicates the difficulty adjustment. And so as we said, every 2016 blocks, roughly every two weeks, that red circle makes a, a round trip to the top. And, uh, you know, it's basically kind of just a, a new little presentation on this real-time data. And uh, I intend to add a bunch more features. There's a lot more data points coming that I'm going to allow you to customize and choose which data points are in the interface. Um, but my, my goal is to try to keep it streamlined, clean, and, and pretty to look at, and simple. I don't want to overcrowd it. 
with too much stuff and it's bordering on that already. So, um, yeah. And as far as like feature requests, I'm, I'm getting tons of feature suggestions, tons of, you know, wonderful feedback. And, uh, yeah, I intend to make this sort of like a little widget that you could install on any website or app. Um, I also intend eventually to make it an Apple watch, make it an iOS app, make it an Android app. These are, these are long-term goals. These will take time. Uh, and right now I'm still in sort of polishing the, the prototype and getting the, the final essential features in place and getting the presentation as flawless as I can. And then my, my attention will shift to trying to port it over to some other platforms. But, uh, yeah, man, that's the, that's the time chain calendar. That's timechaincalendar.com. It's, uh, it's up to you. TC, TC, TC. Um, we want more. We want more from you for free. Um, can you give us more for free, please, sir? <laughs> I was going to say, TC, um, I had no idea you built this, man. I saw it. I saw it when you released it and I like shared it to into the bitcoin spaces message i was like man this is so cool um but that's awesome man i'm i'm very impressed and uh you know it's cool knowing the person who actually built it so yeah i'm sorry there's more to say uh thanks thanks wicked uh i i also failed to mention there's a conspicuous little slider at the bottom of the interface grab onto that thing and slide it and you basically start scrolling back through the the time chain calendar you scroll back through time in the time chain you go to any block it'll show you the date and time uh you can click on the big block height number in the center and that turns into a little input where you can type in a specific block number and jump straight to it if you click on either the date or the time in the bottom corners you get a little interface that lets you select a date and time and you can jump right to the most recently confirm block. So actually one quick little story that was part of my uh, conception of this concept was close to a year ago, I just got this idea in my head. I was curious, when was my kid born in terms of block height? I wanted to know my child's block height. And I went to mempool.space and it took me a while of clicking back and forward trial and error to find that date. Um, so that's one of the cool uses is you can just enter a date and time and it'll just jump you right to that block so that if you're an artist and you want to be able to block stamp your, your pieces, or you want to find out when your kid was born, or maybe you find out what uh, block height you got married on, you know, this is the kind of thinking and, and there's going to be an increasing number of little Easter eggs and nuggets of goodness that get added into those past blocks, um, and also more information to, to associate with those past blocks to display. So that's all, that's all on the, on the roadmap. Yeah. Easy, easy, low hanging fruit would be to incorporate the, uh, the blocks of difficulty adjustment for the, the, you know, search back in time. Cause that one's like, you know, that one's a pretty easy one to calculate. It's like a one liner, right? Come on, TC. This fucking half sucks. Man. <laughs> TC, this thing is beautiful. Man, I just like looking at it. And I like going back in time and then you can see like the number of transactions too, which is just interesting. But the amount of data that you pack into this thing is impressive. And uh, it's just beautiful work, man. So can't wait to see what you do with it in the future. Yeah, it's like a way back machine for Bitcoin. It's cool. I like the rings. I like looking at the rings and seeing, you know, the the difficulty adjustment 
on a round trip, as TC calls it, or it's a having. That's really cool. Yeah, I just added a. Um, one of the things I'm adding right now is is more little uh, animations and uh, interactive kind of uh, liveliness to it. Um, I just added a thing where the the red difficulty adjustment circle will sort of pulsate as you're in the last ten blocks, counting down to the next difficulty adjustment. So that just happened the other day. Um, so in a little bit less than two weeks, you'll get to see that occur again where when it's 10 blocks or less to the adjustment you'll see that ring sort of pulsate again just at a glance you can tell you know the important things that are happening on chain tc you, for, you forgot about the most important thing about this it's that message that appears on top of the time chain calendar <laughs> that says all these different messages and Go fuck yourself and, and whatever message you have there. <laughs> it's oh, awesome. what? It would never say that to you. No, um, yeah, it, it's going to tell it's it, it operates like a calendar as well. It'll tell you good morning every morning. Um, at some point, I might make a little toggle if, to switch that off if you don't care for that. But um, it's also going to let you know when there's dates of import, like when it's Bitcoin Pizza Day, expect a little notification on it that tells you, hey, today is Bitcoin Pizza Day. Go buy a slice with some sats. Um, or today is white paper day. Like uh, it's it's going to really have more and more calendar features, and that's why I called it time chain calendar. I like how you have different sat symbols too. That's interesting. Yeah, it, you, Al, I didn't I, I didn't see you jump see up there, man. On that. Oh, hey, listen, let's be honest. Let's, if you want to have a couple dates in mind, Corey's got he's down there in the audience. Bring Corey up, man. We need we need the dates when Corey calls out a scam. All right, he called out a few this past year. Let's have the dates when he calls out another scam. I want that on my calendar. It's a future-oriented <laughs> calendar now. <laughs> and then when the actual thing blows up. When I, when I look at this, I, uh, I mean, I can see why Peter asked that question because you could almost see this thing on a you know, I watch or something and you could just Sam, be living. Sam, does it not time. remind you? Does it not remind you of a Richard Mille? Yeah, dude, basically. I mean, I yeah, just picture I mean, a world it's just where so fucking beautiful. Living in block time. I mean, like, that's the future that I see. I mean, you kind of see it in the Bitcoiner space, how they're a, a child born and they're like block height, you know, X was when, and when we got married and, and, you know, Gigi marks his, blog post by block height too and like you're starting to see people actually use the time chain to uh keep track of of time which is really crazy idea hey, this uh, was, yeah that's just nuts i was gonna say a bitcoin or hack for for apple watches if you have the blue wallet um app on your apple watch as one of the widgets you can have the bitcoin price and it doesn't have to be like the obnoxious one with you know the trend line of the price which i mean some people like but i kind of like it being a little bit more like low-key um and with the blue wallet widget it just says like bitcoin price i've got it set to orange and then it just has the price underneath as of you know some specific date so i've already got that on the apple watch but I'm, yeah but i'm waiting for this uh this time change calendar i want this one instead this is a uh, more informative to things i care about yeah you know it was actually an honor for me to see Time Chain Calendar for the first time at Pacific Bitcoin with TC. 
and meeting TC for the first time. So imagine me seeing Tom Jean kind of we're going over it, and I was like, man, this is freaking awesome. So big shout out, kudos you TC. Um, I I really feel this has some legs, and I think this is gonna go somewhere. So and for those for those who don't know, I was standing right there. Tao totally trolled TC, and since Corey is up on stage, he happened to be standing there at the same time and got trolled by by Tao after that. Double kill. What's up, Corey? Honestly, don't don't remember it, but I'll have to take your word for it. I'm just here to uh, tell Tao to stop uh, forking. Forking blocks when uh, when my homies try to stack. <laughs> oh no. no, we're not going to bring think, up yesterday. I think I think what he's trying to do is uh, is find a way to get a job with Swan, so that way at least when he forks, it'll be on the team. <laughs> what what he was really trying to do, Corey, was have individuals stack more sats than they had intended, and in fact, that's exactly what happened. Yes, this is the way. Dot Jeff. It was a great initiation for Jacob. I love Jacob. I met him at Pacific Bitcoin, and it was the best um, few hours yesterday with him on a space talking about the fork and everything. <laughs> so good. Anyway. Yeah, Jacob's um, the man. So, yeah, as far as prognosticating and, and setting dates, uh, I don't predict these things. I actively try to make them happen. I think that's where a lot of journalists and crypto people, mostly traders on on Twitter, get it all mixed up like i found out about luna and anchor and ust and doquan and became an active combatant trying to drive them to zero um same thing with celsius same thing with ftx so it's not uh it's not about predicting things like i'm actively trying to make them go to zero um yeah we uh we talked in our board meeting yesterday uh had a pretty contentious discussion about whether it was time to uh you know actively start really really pointedly going after vitalik and ethereum still debating it takes a lot of time and effort and uh, there's a lot of negativity but uh i don't know nobody's ever done it in the mainstream media so i'm thinking maybe that's the next thing to do it does feel like if you can chop them down then basically everything else just scurries away that's the hornet's nest right there Corey. Yeah, oh. and I think there it's a big there's a big change now. They went proof of stake. I mean, they just weakened their position a um, hundredfold. You get a proof of stake, you're done already. But isn't it also just a scam waiting to waiting to be uncovered? Yeah, it's inevitable. I think Corey's called it the long con, or Vitalik the long con. I like calling Ethereum the forever fraud. But uh, yeah, absolutely. It's not going to be forever, though. I don't want to give yeah. him that credit. <laughs> if you tell, fair, fair if you point. Tell fair a bunch point. Of Wall Street guys, that it's a forever fraud. They'll just plow <laughs> the money into it. <laughs> oh shit! This is going to last forever. We're going to keep ripping <laughs> people's faces off. Oh, I'm in, bro. Where do I sign? That's true. That's true. Maybe I got to rethink that. But I do think uh, Ethereum moving to proof of stake was the most bullish thing for Bitcoin because it really uh, clearly differentiates Bitcoin from Ethereum, because there's a little bit more obscurity between the two, and now it's just very clearly different. So maybe you're right, Corey, maybe now's the time. Yeah, that whole thing about um, Bitcoin's code meeting the real world of difficulty-adjusted proof-of-work, yeah, no, Ethereum doesn't have that. 
I think it's more at the, I mean, you're right, Sam, hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's inevitable. It's uh, that, that switch was the nail in the coffin. To me, it's more the, the political level. I mean, surfer Jim, Alex, you know, Howard. TC and, and, um, do you have any closing, uh, comments? We got about five minutes left. So coming into the end of the show here, um, any closing comments that you guys have about your projects and your resources? Um, both are so cool. Last thing I want to say, and then actually I got to drop, um, thank you so much for uh having me on the show i listen to cafe bitcoin almost every morning it's a incredible incredible resource so thanks to swan uh for putting that on and thanks for having me up to give me an opportunity to talk about my my little baby here um people uh, go to timechaincalendar.com to see the thing uh you can also follow a second twitter account that i made for that project it's timechaincalendar the handle is just time chain capital C A capital L. Um, but if you follow that account, you'll get um, the latest updates when features are released and things like that. And that's it. And thanks again, guys, for having me. Yeah, I would just say thanks. You know, also thanks to Swan for having us up. And you know, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about time chain stats. And uh, you know, listen, there's there's no shortage of price you know dashboards or places to get stats and whatever for for bitcoin that's the beautiful thing about bitcoin all this information is out there but what makes time chain stats different in my mind is no company no shit coins no ads no you know backroom listing deals no bullshit it's just all bitcoin only data that you know you can pull up at any time with no account needed no paywalls it's all just there and i'm here at 2140 data so you can always just hit me up if you want to see something and if it makes sense and if it's valuable i'll probably add it so thank you all very much for the support and uh yeah definitely check out timechainstats.com and the companion site btclexicon.com awesome Brandon, I heard uh, you were talking, but I couldn't hear you, man. So I, I heard I uh, talked over you. But did you have anything you wanted to add? Sorry about that. No, no. I hopefully uh, most people can hear me. But I was just saying that the you know Ethereum and all that. My my bigger concern with all that is you know the WEF, you know stuff like that. It's going to be it's a captured coin, right? So it's you're you're spot on with the transfer of proof of stake being the nail in the coffin. But how much are the uh, the globalists going to be pushing that and you know using all of our tax dollars inflation you know whatever it is to be pushing that on all of us so that that's all Sam yeah I can chime in on the policy side if you all want um, but it was in DC so it's up to you yeah. Sam honestly yeah yeah um, we got a couple minutes but go for it Amanda yeah I think you know I think this proof of stake it kind of makes them, you know, the makes more of a case for a security than a commodity. So let's say there seems to be like an urgency for stable coin legislation. If there's also um, like a definition of digital asset commodity and digital asset security, and it's based on principles, not calling out specific projects, I think it'll become pretty obvious, right? That Bitcoin's the, the only commodity here. So yeah, it'll be an interesting next few months. So pay attention to what's going on in D.C. too. 
are the questions from those policymakers, um, do they understand the difference at all between proof of stake or proof of work or they have the, they heard the terms, but they don't yet understand it? Is that kind of where the education is lying right now? For you guys? Yeah, it varies. I mean, you have some staffers that have been working on this for years, and so they they really understand it. And then you have some that ask when, you know, Bitcoin's, uh, you know, when all the Bitcoin are mined, how are we going to get gas fees? So they conflate a lot of these terms. Um, so it's a lot of, which is great that they're asking these questions, because I much rather have people feel comfortable asking, like, very beginner questions than pretending they know everything so it really varies by by individual right on well thank you for you know on the ground in dc in the swamp for uh, advocating for bitcoin uh we appreciate it and it's probably not an easy task so good work and um yeah we've pretty much reached the end of the show it's been amazing talking to ant and tc about their projects it's super inspiring when bitcoiners just contribute these amazing resources for free for the community. Uh, and it's, this is so cool. So everyone check it out. Uh, Timechainstats.com, timechain calendar. Um, thanks for everyone for joining the show today. Uh, it was a pleasure hosting the second half hour and Alex is up here too. So what's up, Alex? Um, but this is Cafe Bitcoin. This is the best spot to talk Bitcoin every single morning. Uh, this is brought to you by Swan. Uh, Swan is an international Bitcoin financial services company. Uh, we provide Bitcoin services for high net worth individuals, businesses, um, and just regular retail investors as well. Um, hit anybody up at Swan or just go to the website at swan.com. You can check out the blog for educational materials and just check out our product. We'd be happy to help you. We're Bitcoin only, and that's how we think it should be. Um, so thanks for everyone for listening. Puppy, you want to close us out with something? I can see you got your hand raised. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, we got Corey on stage. Let's be honest. That dude knocked down a three-pointer, I think, from uh, <laughs> half court. But was that rehearsed? I mean, you had the wind against you. You had everything going against you, Corey. Tell us what was going through your mind on that last three-point shot. Can I um, get my block? So, so, yeah, basically, I had three balls left, and I was – the ties and it just popped into my head like why not why not just fucking take a big swing at this and make it legendary you know so i saw i knew that swan sticker was back there about eight to ten feet behind the three-point line so i was like let me just go stand back here for the last one and if i miss like whatever we'll have a shoot off and maybe i'll still win the thing but but if i make it you know that shit will be legendary and uh, and luckily enough, uh, it went in, and uh, it was pretty funny. Yeah, that was awesome. I saw it on the video. I wish I would have seen it live, but that was insane. Yeah, the the only thing I could control in that contest was the order of shooters. So I did I did go last, uh, which I think is a little bit of an advantage because you you kind of know what your target is. But uh, yeah, otherwise, shooting in my Don Johnson pants with my uh, my watch on. <laughs> On an outdoor court, uh, it wasn't the highest percentage set of racks that I ever uh, had in a three-point contest, but uh, definitely had a good finish. Dude, I, I think we loved it, man. That's like Larry Bird, I, and I retweeted that with. If, if if you guys are a little bit younger, look back at Larry Bird, nineteen eighty-eight. 
that dude went out in his warmups. And he, he went into the he went into the the group and said, "Okay, which one of you guys is finishing in second place?" Larry Bird was a legend. He went out there in warmups and won the three point competition. Corey, man, that was fucking Larry Bird esque. Great job, brother. <clears throat> well, what we need to do is we need to get a video editor to uh, go back and instead of Larry throwing up the number one, we got to leave him. Uh, you got to hang a swan on him. You got to make a swan, you know, the swan hand gesture. <laughs> When you make that three-pointer. Beautiful. It was, a, it was pretty badass. I was a little worried that Corey wouldn't uh, stay humble, but here he is being humble, so <laughs> it was pretty cool. Um, well, that's the right, thing, man. No, no one knows. <laughs> no one knows what it's like to, to play basketball outdoors, man. With a wind like that, that, that puts the difficulty adjustment up by 9x, man. No one knows. <laughs> Yeah, everyone check out the video. You can find it on Corey's Twitter. Um, it's pretty great. But um, all right, guys. Well, this was a great show. Thanks to everyone who contributed, all the speakers. Um, let's close it up. Everyone have a great day today. Uh, stack some sats. And um, and don't shit coin. It's bad for you, as many are finding out. So um, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Peace.